Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. This week, we discussed the song that forced radio DJs to have to say the word butthole on the radio for an entire summer. The Butthole Surfers, who by all accounts were the world's least marketable band, managed to cross over to the radio thanks to their bizarre song Pepper. Our guest this week is Zayo and Pat guitarist Scott Mellinger, who breaks down why he loves this band and how they not only influenced him, but the entire 90s grunge movement. One hit is all you need To make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties Forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder I think it's really cool that for this time in whatever year that was, this came out that radio DJs all over the world had to say butthole on the on radio stations. <laughs> I got to give the butthole surfers credit for that. Except uh, for definitely. the radio stations where they had to say the BH surfers. Yeah. Which, Scott, <laughs> well, they're seriously, yeah. I don't remember them ever. Because do- this song crossed over into like top 40 radio, yeah, top had 40 to radio BH. DJs would not say butthole. They said BH surfers. <laughs> what? That is incredible. You can even find, uh, I, when I was doing some research, I found like, a news story where they're being interviewed and the name of the band comes up and it's B 
four stars, age four <laughs> stars surfers. Wow, <laughs> man. I didn't know they had to do that. I didn't think butthole is a strange word because it's not a swear word, but it's very graphic. Yeah, it brings up a very clear image <laughs> yeah, in your mind. Yeah, it's not just the butt. It's actually <laughs> the hole. I gotta assume that was Butthole Surfers' whole intention when they named their band. Scott, you're the resident Butthole Surfers expert here because I had maybe heard of them because of Beavis and Butthead before Pepper, but I wasn't real familiar with this band, but you actually were a fan. Yeah. Well, I loved independent warm saloon. I love that record. I'm trying to remember like back then what, what I liked so much about it, but it was definitely like, I remember hearing Gibby Haynes on a ministry song. Okay. Right? Right. Jesus built my yes. hot rod. Yeah. And so that kind of just intrigued me with how this guy was. And then you kind of find out this dude, like he went to college for like something crazy. Like he was trying to get an MBA in something mm -hmm. and him and his friend, and I'm terrible at Leary, Paul like, Leary. Yeah. Paul Leary. Both of those dudes were like in college for legit things. And then they lived in this like whole like punk aesthetic, weird, like Texas world. Right. So learning that that guy went from that to like just pure insanity. Cause yeah. like some of the earlier butthole surfers records, I don't really get into too much because it's more just like avant-garde weirdness. Yes, yes. avant-garde is the best term I could yeah. use for this band because, you know, digging into their catalog in preparation for this, I'm like, I've always been aware of Butthole Surfers like since I was a kid just because I liked alternative music. I watched 120 Minutes. I watched, you know, I brought up Beavis and Butthead, but like, honestly, Beavis and Butthead... Dude, opened... Ex yes. Yes. Exposed me to so much music. I got to give Beavis... And I still think Beavis and Butthead is funny. And I got to give him credit for like the music part is so many... Ween. Ween is one of my favorite bands Love ever. Him. Love them. And I found out about Ween because of Beavis and Butthead. Yep. I've liked Ween since seventh grade. <laughs> and that being said, I would have thought that Butthole Surfers would have been... I think they are kind of in that world. They're kind of psychedelic, trippy, but heavy sometimes and just avant-garde and strange but for some reason when i'm listening to this maybe i had to be there maybe i had to be into him at the time it's it, it's kind of hard for me to get it minus that one song which is matt we were just talking about it did you sleep in my bed last or, night or that song yeah. that's yeah i mean that record like i said i i think what it is is it's super heavy but it's like even the second song on that record uh the wooden what the heck's the thing i'm so terrible with names i'm pulling it up Thank you. It's the set. It's, and it's, it's kind of like just a ballad. It's all like an acoustic song. And I loved weirdly. I think that's kind of where the beginnings of my idea of dynamic was. Cause you had this first song that would just kicked your ass. Mm -hmm. And then it went into this weird kind of, yeah, the wooden song. Yeah. Like it just comes in and it's more of like a sort of ballady, like folky song. Right. And I loved that whole like juxtaposition of that. And I think that's really kind of where like, the idea of doing that in everything I write sort of happened. Right. Cause I don't think a lot of bands outside of Nirvana then doing that. I was going to really say, well. so on my drive up here, I listened to in utero. Yeah. And after doing all this research for this, like Kurt Cobain, this is like one of Kurt Cobain's favorite bands. He's had multiple of their albums in his journals as like best albums of all time. And that in utero album is a polished butthole surfers record like radio friendly unit shifter yep. is such a butthole surfers song like it's just noisy it's nonsensical very ape is kind of milk it is like 110 yep. percent like the butthole surfers 
and they kind of got credit as like the guys who create truly created the sound of grunge, creating that idea of like slow droney stuff that at the drop of a hat's just going to turn into like the most noisy, chaotic, mm-hmm. screaming insanity right back into like slow droney nonsense. Right. And and Scott, you can speak to chaotic. Oh, yeah. Your, ba- your band is very chaotic. That's and, it, yeah. and that appeals to me, too. I, I get that. And I... I respect butthole surfers for definitely don't sound like anybody else. No. And that's something I love about music yeah. is there's so many bands that are a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, you know? And I always, whether it's something I want to listen to or not, that's why I can love Ween or, you know, these, I just love the music that doesn't sound like anyone else. These guys definitely fit into that category and definitely em- emerged from this what, you know, when we're talking about the song Pepper, this Texas punk rock scene that I know nothing about. Yeah, it's it, it is really ho- kind of not known. Like you think Austin, obviously, mm-hmm. but there were so many bands that come from Texas that I don't even realize they came from that world and like what that world was. But then you think about it, that whole like climate, yeah. like a lot of the bands I listen to, like even on like the sludge side of heavier music, like they come from Louisiana. So that like hot, weird kind of climate might help with this kind of weird avant-garde weird heavy bands thing i don't know but right everybody had their crazy locals <laughs> their crazy local bands which we'll get into that with this song because this song pepper which the butthole surfers do not like this song yes we'll get to that too but the, the subject matter of this song is pretty cool all the names i think there's 10 different people referenced some of them by name some of them by like the football player rapist or whatever not not a specific whatever but these are all real people yeah. that, are, that are referenced in this song and they sound like they're people from their scene of music <laughs> and are you know people that were around there's one in particular that i want to talk about but i think the song is as far as the butthole surfers songs go they don't like it but it's the one i like the most <laughs> you know i think it's 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 interesting i know you're not a fan <laughs> to me and i was going to say this earlier but it really feels like and I had to do a little bit of research myself. It sounds so much like Beck. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, and it was a parody of Beck. Yeah. They were doing a parody of where it's at. Yeah. They were like, let's make fun of this like monotone rapping yep. with like a catchy chorus yep. type thing. And it worked. <laughs> and yeah. And, and I don't, they probably didn't want it to be a hit and it ends up being a hit. I don't but. know if they necessarily, from what I understood from the research I did, it wasn't so much that they hated the song, but they hated what it meant to have a hit. Because uh, like, I see what you mean. Cause like before they were like this radio friendly band, no one told them what to do. And like they said, like they don't, they really don't like the album that came out after Electric Larry Land, which took them like six years to put out anyway. And it ended up being the last thing they ever released. Because yep. they said like that album was written by committee. They had all these A&R guys telling them what they should sound yeah. like and how to write a single. And it was like. We wrote a single as a flute. Like you don't name yourself the butthole surfers and you want to have a song on the radio. Yeah. Like it's yeah. like not what the you song do. was supposedly, I don't know if you guys know this, released the week of Gibby's 20 year high school reunion. And it was, you know, about all these people that were from his world at the time. And the song did hit number one on the modern rock chart. I mean, yeah. it is, it is a hit. Yeah. And it became the top ranked song of 1996's modern rock charts. It peaked at number 29 on the hot 100. So Yeah. Pretty pretty legit hit. Pretty memorable. Doesn't... Okay. I never really thought about the Beck comparison. And if anything, just it, with that sort of looped 
yeah feeling to it i would have thought loser was the song but you're saying like where it's at loser that's it was probably I, loser actually because where it's at i think okay. would have been the following year okay yeah loser is what i always think about when yeah. i when i heard that song i think about beck loser and the bummer is i actually do like some of Beck's stuff so it's yeah. not like i i wouldn't hate actually that. yeah this is definitely because it even does the both loser and pepper the bridge is just reversing a guitar solo with the chorus over top of it so it just sounds like nonsense gibberish right and it's the spoken word uh verses which is cool that was done in the 90s that that was a a thing and it it doesn't sound like a lot of other things to me the the song (laughs) despite being called pepper never mentions the word pepper no uh the only speculation i saw as to why it might be named pepper was Maybe that it was a Tex-Mex cuisine reference since they're doing it in Texas. Ah, okay. Seems like a stretch yeah, to me. <laughs> but I, it could be because, yeah. like you said, there's it's never mentioned. It's never really even, it's not even a name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this turned out to be completely false and made up. But I remember when this song came out, my next door neighbor tried to explain to me that a pepper interview is when the police sit down and interview someone that they've apprehended and that this is a pepper interview of the guy just throwing all these people under the bus after being arrested. And I'm like, I've mm. never ever heard that be referred to as a pepper interview. That sounds like a stretchy. That, that sounds like Scott. That, that reminds me of like in pack, like if Josh sends a guitar idea and it's just called, or, or Justin sends something and it's just called like, pumpkin <laughs> or something that's a and we're like okay we're just gonna call it that forever even though you know it doesn't make any sense that is probably more what this yes. song actually wow. is i think so but something that i thought was pretty crazy and interesting you know so like i said this is supposedly all the people in this song are real people the one person that i found out a lot about is there is a bobby mentioned in the song okay let me see what the lyric is oh mikey had a facial scar and bobby was a racist so bobby is based on bobby socks who's from a band called stick men with ray guns that were from dallas okay and bobby had created a comic of the same name i guess with stick figures about a racist character who walked the streets blasting anyone with a ray gun who he thought was defiling his race so anyway this bobby sounds like a real like gg allen type guy okay because he was so the name of his band was also stick men with ray guns and he was notorious for starting fights urinating on other bands during their set and inserting the mic into his anus before leaving the stage. There you go. And he spent time in in prison and mental hospitals and he died of liver failure from alcoholism in 2000. That was the Bobby was a racist. Whether he was a racist or the character from his comic book was just racist, I don't know. Uh, It sounds like like I said, like a G.G. Allen. Yeah, that's what, yeah. Like the local G.G. Allen. Like (laughs) I did read that this Bobby Sox, this band, Thurston Moore at some point covered a song by this band, which leads me to believe that maybe the guy wasn't actually racist. I hope not. (laughs) It wasn't actually like a a racist, like skinhead punk or something. Maybe it was like ironic or something like that. I would, Um, I bet that's probably what more makes more sense. Um, I I tried researching the rest of the people mentioned in the song. Uh, All I got was that like, these were real people that he was mentioning that, Basically, like if we, if you and I were to make a song about people we knew from like the punk and metal scene that everyone kind of knew who they were in Pittsburgh or something, yeah. you know, that was 
the concept behind the song, which is, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Giving people infamy. Right. Yeah. I, I, I like that concept for the song. As far as, you know, Gibby himself, some stuff I, I thought was pretty crazy was like Matt brought up the butthole surfers being a Nirvana influence is that Gibby ended up spending several stints in rehab with Kurt. Yeah. And so they got to know each other. I, I, <laughs> this is getting off on a tangent a little bit, but Gibby had a speedball habit. You know what speedballs mm-hmm. are? Yeah. I didn't. I had to, I had to learn. I don't know how you, I don't know how you yeah. do that. That's what killed Farley. Yeah. And Belushi. Yeah. I saw Belushi in here, but I, I always, I assumed it was meth or something, but it's, it's what, a mixture of Coke and heroin. And heroin. Or I guess yep. it's a mixture of Coke and whatever other drug you want to mix with yeah. it. Really? Yeah. Coke and heroin. And yeah, like you said, kill John Belushi, River Phoenix, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, yeah, and I didn't know. Yeah, Farley. Fulton. Farley was on there too. I knew the Farley would had it, but and I so I went down the rabbit hole of speedballs and whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, you gonna try one this week? Well, <laughs> it's it's funny because the website it was like Healthline or something. The website where I got all this information from, and they're like, "Look, we don't recommend that anyone ever do this, but if you do, here's all the facts you need." And you better have Narcan on hand. And you, be- so like, I, I mean, I respect that. Like giving people like the information, like, Hey, if you're going to choose to do this, here's what you need to know. Yeah. And I could pass this information along, but basically like we all know, cocaine is a stimulant and heroin is a depressant. Mm-hmm. So taking the two together has a push pull effect. Heroin cuts down the cocaine induced agitation and jitters while the cocaine keeps you from nodding off so this balancing act is said to give like a very pleasurable high and an easier come down but the false sense of relative sobriety can lead to frequent redosing and then eventual overdosing which i think is what happens is like well i'm not feeling anything yeah you know i need to do more and when in fact it's like these two drugs are just fighting each other yeah it's opposite effects in another big part of it especially in more recent years is that Coke and heroin are not always pure. They sometimes contain fentanyl because fentanyl is a hundred times more potent than morphine. Like I, I would assume that if any of us did fentanyl one time, probably kill us yeah we have no tolerance built up or anything like that you know maybe someone with decade worth of tolerance built up to that could maybe survive fentanyl but so i guess the reason they put fentanyl in in drugs is because you could take the tiniest little bit and just for as a cost effective way to like you know make the drug more potent and want people to buy it from you basically to to save it reduce costs from the dealer's side speedballs have a high risk for respiratory failure and like i said if you if you're listening to this and you <laughs> and none of this turns you off the speedballs, you better have some Narcan handy. That was Gibby's that was Gibby's deal. Did you ever see the documentary The Devil and Daniel Johnston? Yep. Gibby yeah. uh may have been directly involved with Daniel Johnson's big psychotic break cuz he kept giving him like acid and shrooms and stuff when wow. like Daniel Johnson was already a very unstable person and apparently it was at a butthole surfer show where he had like the really bad trip where he became convinced that there was like demons all over and that it was like his job to like stamp out evil wow. in the world. Wow. That is crazy. I feel like it's selfish of me as a lover of music and I, I don't wish it upon anyone, but why is so much of my favorite music 
made by people tortured yeah Mm -hmm. made by tortured artists whether it's addiction or mental you know mental problems or whatever like i i guess for me a lot of times it's that you know it's real it's not somebody faking it you know they're going through i love daniel johnston like you hear the actual pain or or whatever that it doesn't feel put on at all i mean i will to the end of time uh defend i i love wesley willis and you know i remember listening to it when i first heard it as a teenager or whatever and laughing of course you're gonna laugh but then as you get older you realize oh this was a schizophrenic person who was able to create art and put it out in the world and people he brought joy to people and there was nothing fake about this at all you know this is this was so real that i look at it in a completely different way than when i'm listening to batman kick my ass or something like (laughs) back then rock over london rock on chicago you know the stuff that made me laugh now i'm like wow that's that was like amazing because i always when i think about music a lot of times i i hate to say this uh, about myself or about anybody that creates music but you have to have a little bit of an ego or something to think that like i'm gonna create something that's good enough that people should buy it and listen to it and give me money and come see (laughs) and come see me do this thing you have to at a certain level have this kind of arrogance about what you create but i mean part of it too is like you love doing it you enjoy it and it brings you joy but to think that you're going to become famous doing it you have to believe that like you're you're really offering people something so like the exception to that rule is like a homeless person on the corner playing guitar and singing songs from the heart that is the only real pure music or something so when you talk about daniel johnston or wesley willis or somebody that 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 to me just seems so much more real. <laughs> anyway, when it comes to uh, butthole surfers, I do hear a band that doesn't give a fuck about what people think. And if people are going to come to the shows and enjoy it, it's real. So I do understand why. It's antagonistic almost. Yeah. To an, to an extent. Yes, it is. Challenging. Like you're going to like us. Well, you're going to deal with, you're going to deal with this. And that's, I keep bringing up Ween. I don't know why I put these bands in the same. I think it makes sense. Category. But yeah, Ween did that. Ween has tracks on albums. I think about this song "Morning Glory" on the Pure Guava, on the Pure Guava album. That's just like the most unlistenable track ever. Yet I love it. Yet me and my friends love it because it's you put that on. <laughs> our joke was always to put "Morning Glory" on at a party, and it just kills the mood. Like that, you could not party to this. This is noise, and and it's it's the antithesis to pop music and to overproduction and whatever. Like the and. Butthole Surfers has that thing going on. And I think that maybe if I had have had had these albums at the time that I could look at it in a different perspective, it's hard to get into now. Later, yeah. I'm just curious, have either of you in, in your respective bands ever covered a song by the Butthole Surfers? I'm assuming more likely on this side of the table than this no, side of the table. No, but that isn't a bad idea because actually Dan's a huge fan of Butthole Surfers, like way yeah. more than me. Because I... I every once in a while I would form like this 90s cover band for charity shows and the one time we were like let's just do pepper by butthole surfers and it was the most fun I have ever had in four minutes because it was just like you didn't have to care about how it sounded so like I bought a megaphone I was like screaming into the megaphone in front of the microphone so it was extra loud and obnoxious we just had random drum sets around so like when there was parts where I wasn't talking I was just hitting cymbals and like 
just going wild. And I was like, man, I, the other one that used to always make me think of that was their cover, uh, their black Sabbath cover of sweet loaf, where it's just like, this is literally just playing the same riff for six minutes and just screaming and making noises. And I bet it's the most fun to do on stage. There's catharsis. (laughs) Well, that actually, I was going to say when Chris was talking about like having to have that sort of, I think there's, there's a sort of ego or, I don't know how to explain. Like, it might not be the right word. Yeah, ego. like there's. I understand where you're. What, what you have to think on a certain level. If somebody wants to hear. Yeah, what you're why doing. would you be doing it if no one wanted to hear? And it? then, yeah. but but I think what could be from that, and I know like this is may, maybe me personally, and like what we do in Zeo kind of is like there's a need to release whatever this is, right? And it's not, and I think you're probably the same. Like all of us, like that do this. Like it's not that I. Th- think I'm good enough for you to listen to me, but it's like, unfortunately I'm going to need you to listen to this because like, because <laughs> if I don't get this out of me that, because like all of us, like, you know, there's people have varying levels of darkness in them. I think a lot of artists that I enjoy too have a lot of darkness in them. And I think that that release of music, that release of whatever that's in you, which is sort of great about the butthole surface, that animalistic release of just, noise sometimes a song won't really do it right sometimes just making a guitar screech to f- fucking crazily and screaming into a megaphone is how you release whatever that is in you and i'm guessing that maybe that's like kind of the the allure of a band like butthole surfers and i think for dan too when i talked because i actually talked to dan about this during when i found out we were going to do this because you know what is it about them that that really t- like brought you to them and he was like just yeah there's just that like weird aggressive release that you're forcing people to have to witness yeah but you at least get it out of you you tap into almost like a neanderthal like beating on rocks sort of release and i i get that yeah i think that there's something maybe it's programmed into my head from hearing pop radio since as far back as I can remember that where I need, I need the melody still. I need the combination. And I think that maybe a lot of times for me personally, it takes when it comes to metal, I still need the melodic. And that's why I can't get into like, like a grind core yeah. or something, you know, like, or I know that that's so niche, but like, I still need, and, and in a lot of metal, there is a lot of times it's within the guitar work, Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I know that you, you as a guitarist in Zayo, you, there's still, there's still the melt, there's the yeah. melodies still there, you know, and the, the musicality of it. But I, I get the, the release part. Yeah. Of it, you know? I, yeah. I also think that there's certain genres that just by nature are more designed for a live atmosphere. Like, yeah. Like the case in point, when I was going to to like the Christian music festival festivals, when I was going to the Purple Doors, I didn't really own a ton of Zayao or Living Sacrifice or Norma Jean records, but I was going to watch those sets because like there was going to be an energy and it was going to be captivating for 45 straight minutes. Like you were going to see some shit in that scene. The only thing that's like comparable to like what Butthole Surfers was doing was something like Danielson Family, yeah. where it's like, what is this? This is is just there to piss off half the audience. But then there's the other people are like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. It's just people banging xylophones and singing in falsetto for seven minutes. No, you're right. And I think too, like for us, I mean, I, you know, my music tastes are all over the 
board. And I kind of fall in that thing where like, I do like some melody a lot of the time. And I can, I always wonder like, what is it that drives me or what is it that like kind of points me in this metal direction? And I think that's what it is. It's the live performance of it because mm-hmm. any other music that you play, I don't feel like there's a release like that kind of music. I also think that metal is one of the few genres where you don't necessarily need to know the songs when you're seeing it live. Yeah. Like I love punchline live, but part of the enhancement is that I know the songs and, and I can, can sing, sing along yep. and I can like enjoy it. I ain't singing along with a Zay house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe the new one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure plenty of people are too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, there's gang vocals you're right. for a reason. You're right, dude. I texted you this, but congratulations, man! Thank you, sir. Your new album, you. number forty-four. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. That you know, you know what? That's higher than that's higher than young black teenagers ever got on the charts. <laughs> you have an album that is higher in the charts than someone we did an episode about. So Crazy. that's pretty cool, man. Congratulations! Just just a, a little side note on that. That's uh, I'm I'm very impressed. And and dude, on top of that, like. You, I mean, admittedly, you play a very niche oh, yeah. style of music. It's not like you're playing something that you... So to be on the charts with Taylor Swift and... It's and, insane. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. On top of that, we own the label. Yeah. So we had no... There's no support. Like, we don't yeah. have anybody paying... I mean, we personally did it, but we don't have, like, a machine behind the band that does anything. It's inspiring. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. So inspiring. Do it yourself. That's the key. I I barely (laughs) believe in labels or anything. It's all it's done. It doesn't matter if you're on a label anymore. It really doesn't. And honestly, I think there's so many things people look at being in a band that is so wrongheaded. So like, obviously everybody looks at their social media numbers, right? Well, the one key to the social media number nobody pays attention to is the actual engagement of the social media. Right. So like, sure, some dude can have 100,000 followers, but they're getting followed by like 15,000. Finding out about the insights button on Instagram was like a game changer because that's 
such a better, I can sit there and complain about, you know, oh, this account isn't getting more followers. Sure. But if my engagement's up 300% yes. in one week because like something that we posted did really well, then it's, you're doing the right thing. Exactly. Well, that's like with us, you know, our number, our social media, we came to it kind of late because we stopped and then came back or whatever. But so our social media numbers themselves might not look super impressive, but every single follower on our Instagram or any of that stuff are completely engaged at all times. I feel pretty good about that. And you know, people usually say if you have a thousand people that are like there to pay attention to follow you and pay for stuff, you can keep your band going. Right. So we're over that. So we're <laughs> cater and, and nurture your fan base. And tying that back into butthole surfers, it sounds like butthole surfers were at least popular enough to be like on 120 minutes. And I think they, you know, to be able to tour and to have a fan base and and things like that. And then I think that maybe what this song kind of seems like it was the end of the band because you had this modern rock hit and I think you lost sight of, of what it was all about. You know, maybe, maybe that was a misstep. I don't know though. It, it seems to me crazy to complain about a hit. Yeah. hit. I can see how that would totally change your whole idea. Cause like what you were saying about uh, the committee or whatever. So you got like, they put records out and they just do whatever they want. And that's kind of what makes the band, the band. Cause it's like, of course you're not going to give a shit about, well, we need a verse and a chorus here. Like they can just not care. And then once you get to that machine and then probably self-inflicted they had a lifestyle then financially that they wanted to maintain even though people pretend like they don't care about that but gibby haynes probably speedball addiction right well you need money for speedball addictions so you get a hit you make all this money sure you don't want to be that type of band anymore but how do you maintain your life without that kind of money that's a really interesting point i didn't think about is yeah all of a sudden you have some money, especially what, what year is this again? It was 90, 95, 96. Okay. So having hit on the radio at that time, Oh yeah, that's major money. Cause people are buying your album in stores. Yeah. You have an influx of money. And if you have even a hint of a addiction problem, now you have total access. So that could, I mean, I guess the guy's lucky he's alive. If that's what he was yeah. into, Yeah, that totally makes sense. Why the, band would end now you have money to just i'm gonna focus on my drug habit <laughs> yeah they recently talked about doing their first album in 16 years like a couple years ago they were like let's let's try because they stopped everything like they just stopped playing i read a quote from from the guitarist paul leary where he was like look the one hour that we're on stage is great the other 24 hours of touring and being yeah. in a van is miserable and i Which don't want to keep true. doing it no and that, i mean honestly i think all bands feel that way i think that's why a lot of bands burn out and then you have to be realistic and do it in a way that doesn't do that to you. I mean, I find it hard to believe you guys still tour in a van, right? Or Hell yeah. have you ever been on a bus? Yes. I feel like if you're at the point where you can afford to be on a bus, it's not too bad. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> I'm not saying it all sucks, but no, no but, but being away from home and being in a van and not getting enough sleep and climbing yes. into a hotel room or somebody's house or whatever that, that gets old. Sure. But I think if you're to the point where, you're on a bus. Other people are setting up your stuff. Uh, you can get to a town and take a walk around, go have lunch somewhere. Yeah. You're making some money. 
I can't imagine complaining about that. I can't either. And honestly, too, like even for the way, like, because we've had a bus on two or three tours. We went to Europe once and had a bus, which I would never do Europe without a bus again after seeing how that worked. There, yeah, like the comfort level, being able to just stand up. Think of like, because you in the van, you can't stand up. Right. So there's so many things about that that like I would yearn for. But there's also things like we do now, like with being in a van, I remember doing the shows where you had to stay on people's houses and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that we can be in a van and then have a pretty comfortable like hotel experience yeah, is like, I don't even complain about that. Like yeah, I'm super right. excited about like, Oh, I, we get a good, we ha- I have a bed. I have my own bed. I get a, you know, we have a hotel room. Uh, we're able to eat, make a little bit of money. Like that's, to me, where I'm cool with. So I don't get it. Uh, yeah. If I hear someone complain about like being on the road, but you're in a bus and yeah, you're playing to a thousand people a night and you're making money and yes. selling a bunch of merch and you're eating well, like, I don't know. I can't see how anyone can It's hard to sympathize. Yeah. I have a feeling with Butthole Surfers, and this is just an assumption, but we know the story of like Kurt Cobain like didn't want to show off the money that he had because of like the image. Like, I think there was like the story that like Courtney love bought a really brand new car and he's like, you've got to, you've got to return that. (laughs) Like I feel like regardless on what the money that they had, it, it feels like to me as much as butthole surfers don't give a fuck. I definitely don't think they would have ever wanted to be perceived as quote unquote sellouts in Mm -hmm. 1995. So I think they actively would have said no to buses. They would have said no to the hotels. Like, I think they would have been like, no, we have to be in a van. We have to like, I wonder about rough, that rough too. It. Cause like another kind of sidestep from butthole surfers, like I'm a big Melvins fan and Gibby Haynes had some stuff to do with the Melvins. And I remember, cause I love Nirvana. And I remember hearing about all that, how Kurt Cobain was like anti fame and anti, and then, but was he, he wasn't Buzzo talked about how the dude was full of shit. And like, all yeah, he talked right. about was wanting to be famous. And like when they, when he was, when Kurt Cobain was loading Melvin's shit, like the guy was just like had stars in his eyes. Yeah. So like, I wonder if there is that, like, now I think Gibby Haynes probably has some tortured stuff about him. Yeah. And I think I would be more apt to believe that butthole surfers lived that, that world of like, I want to, you want to be more underground DIY and not, but I don't know. Like, and then, so that's another question I have. So if, if he's like that, why are you doing expensive fucking drugs? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, dude, that's the, that's the wild card in all this conversation. We could be talking about like, well, does a person really want to be famous or not? Like, but once you throw drugs in the mix, like that just all bets are off, man, because nothing, there could be, Nothing could make sense there. Your your brain is not the same at that point. That's true. So we joked around about this last night when we were talking about recording this episode, but like the idea that this song doesn't match anything about the butthole surfers, you know, we brought up like, I know this album cover very well because there was about 40 of them in the used bin at every CD store that I've ever been to. Like, right. This was like that album that was tricking people in to buying it yeah and then being like what the fuck is this? going on i do want to believe that they it's not like they sat down and made a commercial album yes. yeah they made a very uncommercial album that somehow had a song weird, that like yeah. captured caught on matt and i this morning i was like okay i'm gonna put on butthole surfers before scott gets here we're just gonna listen to butthole surfers for a while and you know pepper played first it was like 
it was Butthole Surfer's Essentials playlist I put on. It was like uh, it was just a mix someone made. So Pepper played first. Then that, the other song I knew by then. Yeah, the, who was in my room last. Yep, or that, that song. I know that song. Song's cool. The third song that came on, I'm not kidding, sounded like Smash Mouth. And that's when you. That's when Matt went. I want to go see what this song is. And it was the last album that they did by committee with the A and R team. <laughs> there you go. It was not good, and it was like this is them. It was strange. And Matt, you told me a story about Kid Rock writing a song. Kid Rock wrote a song for that album, and they went on the record as like this song is really bad. But like they felt like it was basically like he asked to use a sample of theirs. Okay, and they agreed to it for no charge. And as a thank you, he wrote a chorus for them for their next album, and they felt obligated to, to use, use it. it. Holy! But like the song, it was their third biggest hit quote unquote um i think it was called like the smell of success or something like that okay but the chorus is literally just like the chorus is like i want to get the money to get the girls because i love that sweet smell of success and it's like that couldn't have been a least butthole yeah, surfers chorus so like on the st- planet oh uh yeah. but then like the verses it's like there were girls hanging out with squirrels and the squirrels kept smoking crack is like one of, so it's like there there's the butthole yeah. surfers part right. of it. <laughs> yeah but but anyway yeah this this band's hard to figure out i and, and they they Seem like something that I would have liked, especially at the time. I think it after the fact, it's hard to get into this. It's dude, it's like anything else. It's like punk rock. Yeah. It's hard for me as a person when you're older to like get into the misfits now. Oh, get yep. into Black Flag now. Like, if you weren't there at the time, it's very hard. Like, I get the Heel and I get legit. It's the same kind of thing of what we're talking about. The a different style of music, but the aggression and yeah. the whatever. But to if you weren't a fan at the time, to try to get into it now, it's hard. And I kind of feel like butthole surfers are in that category. I kind of see that. And honestly, too, it's weird. Like you were talking about this earlier with that aggression and like seeing it live. Right, a band like the misfits they i mean they kind of had like a doo-woppy thing to them yeah. so i can they kind of melody they yeah had, i can get that on record even though like the recordings were always pretty bad and whatever but black flag it's hard to listen to yeah. at home but, but then you watch the videos of them, them and yeah yes. it's like okay this is actually this is why. crazy yep yeah. this is why people love them because you go and you see that aggression you see that just release well the summer that this hit it peaked on the modern rock charts on july 6th it was a very uh, one-hit wonder heavy summer because it took it unseated Dishwalla counting blue cars as the number one song, wow. and then it sat at number one for three weeks before it was replaced by the Primitive Radio Gods. So it was just one-hit wonders were dominating modern rock that that summer. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was thinking about this just now because you brought up Dishwalla. Was the Not a Surf popular song a hit? It was this same summer. <laughs> Because okay, <laughs> spoken word. It was the spoken word. Perfect summer. example. I hate that song, and I fucking love. Yes. Wow. The lead singer was like, which I think is funny. He's like, I can't win with that song because sure. if I don't play it, there's going to be people in the audience that are pissed off that we didn't play it. If I do play it, our audience is pissed off because it's their least favorite yeah. song in our discography. So, so what do you like, do? Yeah, not a surf. Oh my god, that Let Go record. I listened to that. So like I, yeah. that Let Go record. Oh, Inside of Love incredible. was like on oh, every TV perfect. show for like a yeah. year. It was great. That record's so good. Uh, on the non one hit wonder front, the other some other songs that were on the chart maybe to set the mood of what time this was was a uh, Stone Temple Pilots tripping on a paper heart. And garbage is stupid girl. Hmm. And at the time, the number one song in the world was "The Crossroads" by Bone Thugs and Harmony. Nice. Wow! <laughs> I, I gotta give 
Boat was cool. Yeah, I'll deal with Boat Looks Boat, Hungry. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the melodies of the... I mean, could we do a Bone? Do Bone count? No, Bone had a couple No, they had like first of the month was pretty oh, big. Oh, yeah. One last thing I want to say about this, and this kind of goes to that point of you asking about Not A Surf, is a lot of times... These hit songs, especially by bands in like the alternative world, mm-hmm. are the songs that are just so strange. Like no, the songs that are like middle of the road or whatever, like just like, oh, that's a great chorus. That's a whatever. Those aren't necessarily the songs that hit. Sometimes it takes like very weird, strange things that I think catch people's attention. It's like they're novelty songs by non-novelty bands. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like right. it's that it's so out there. That it, I mean, one of the artists on the long list is like whoever did that. What does the fox say song? Like, because that was like a chart topper at one point. And it's like that only worked. Like that dude's never gonna have another hit. We did sigh. Like sigh was like a cultural phenomenon that was never gonna do anything else in America. Like I think that there's something where it's just so outside of what any person could think a song could sound like that it just catches fire for a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially in, you're talking about 90s alternative scene where it was like, think about, if you think about like the Lollapalooza lineup, you had so many different styles and there was such, it was was hard to even like, what does, you know, you have Rage Against the Machine, but then you have Pavement and then you have Smashing Pumpkins or whatever, like so many different like sounds, but somehow it was all, considered the same world but but we also like it's so weird because it's almost like kurt cobain was this insane linchpin that like both the existence of nirvana destroyed like just exploded a bunch of bands careers into smithereens to never be seen again but also like the sheer idea of him like wearing a butthole surfer shirt or a daniel johnson shirt or a meat puppet shirt would get these bands that on no other planet would they be given a major record label deal were suddenly like a hot commodity for a couple years. That's what Melvin's talked about. That's what King Buzzer talked about how everybody, when Nirvana broke, they had that little sidestep of Nirvana. People knew of the Melvins because of, of Kurt Cobain and they had Columbia records signed them. And I mean, that record kicks ass, but like Houdini is a great record, but it's still like, it's weird to me that how that dude opened up, like billboard or like all that mainstream success to all these bands that never thought that was possible. Yeah. Yeah. Everything from like garage sounding rock, you know, the, the grunge, the bands that, yeah, never in a million years during the hair metal eighties, they overproduced everything, the Def Leppard album where they recorded one string at a time. Yeah. Like the stuff like that, where it was just over the top, like, to that, I think it, yeah, it just, the bubble, the bubble burst when Nirvana came along and you could say, oh, here's a three piece rock band screaming into the mic. Mm-hmm. That like theoretically, most of, most of Nevermind, like he's been on the record that he didn't write that many lyrics before recording. Like Smells Like Teen Spirit is just like, what word fits the melody of this chorus? Sure. I don't know. Mosquito libido. Let's go with yeah. it. Right. Like, so weird. It, it, it makes sense that it had to, it had to kind of go back to that you know and then i'm sure we're gonna build to that again especially i mean it may have already happened a couple times but i think about like my world of music man i've talked about this on the podcast a lot of times too but you know there there was just an article in the paper here because our the band scott and i played together called pack we're not a pop punk band (laughs) we're definitely not but in this article uh, we did a bob dylan cover because it's his, his birthday and uh for a local radio station and they called us a 
pop punk super group and i was like oh no i've <laughs> i've i've cursed my band by being the only guy who's thrown into that say, none of the other people in that band play in a band no, that would no. ever on any planet be Juliet theory maybe but they, even they then were, they were like indie i always emo, categorize sure, emo, emo. Sure, indie rock for sure emo and i'm, I'm sure they cringe at that that <laughs> everybody too. i think everybody cringes at everything yeah, yeah. But i think it stinks. no even like the one that i can think of because i like just missed grunge you I mean, like I was there for grunge, but I was like six when it popped. So like I just grew up with it. Did the grunge bands call themselves grunge? No, they hated uh, it too. Like, because right. I that, I'm 42, yeah. so like that was kind of Soundgarden and all that world was. Oh God, it just enveloped me. Yeah, none of them. I mean, Soundgarden was a rock band. They called themselves. Actually, I think Kim Thale thought they said they were a metal band. Well, I was gonna say I feel like a lot of the grunge bands like. Nirvana is basically a noisy punk band. Yeah, like, that's it. Yep. Alice in Chains is a metal band. Like it's like band. they fall yeah. into those categories. But I think another version of that where stuff got so overproduced and then it went back to the basics was in like the mid 2000s with all the the bands when you had like the Hives, the Strokes, the yeah. Vines where it was just like noisy not overproduced, just like get in a studio. Like the Strokes music video is them just playing the song live, mistakes and all. Like that's so fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, my, my point that I was going to make about like the world that I, that my band's evolved in is that, yeah, mid-2000s is a good example of when this kind of happened, maybe a little bit later than that. But pop punk music, I mean, I guess it was already kind of there with, but like Green Day, when you listen to Dookie, like, that wasn't an overproduced. It was produced well, yeah. but those guys are rippers. Yeah. They're all awesome. The songs are great and they're done. It's not like there's all these overdub. There that's a three-piece yeah. punk rock band and that's great and it sounds great that the sounds that they got out of that album are great, but that skip ahead 10-15 years and what's considered pop punk is the most overproduced to the point of like the 80s hair metal bands. Like where it's so like and that's I think that's what makes me cringe about it. Well, that's, I think too, with the emo tag or like, even like we, Zayo gets called a metalcore band all the time. I don't know what that is. What's the core part? I don't know. (laughs) But what we did, I guess like, because we kind of like came from like a hardcore Hardcore, or whatever, but that's not what people think metalcore is. Metalcore to people now is overproduced with weird singing parts and like Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So like, I totally agree with you. Green Day, I know metal dudes that are still wishing they had Billy Joe's tone from that record. Yeah, Like his tone is so heavy and so just clear and thick and great. But those records, it's not overproduced and they don't have like a weird whiny sing. It's just like, it's like a punk band that has a little better songwriting. I don't know. Right. The, the fact that like that album was so controversial to that like Gilman Street thing. It's yeah. like, it's so obnoxious. Beyond the, If they weren't on a major label, that and Insomnia wouldn't sound any different than what they would have recorded sure. at oh. like Lookout or somewhere else. They yeah. just needed the right producer and that was it. Yeah, they had it. They had, yeah, they had a good producer and they were probably using great gear and stuff at a nice studio at that time but yeah that would have been this that was the natural progression from kerplunk the album yeah Yeah. it's not like they just like put out a hip-hop record next like that would be actually selling out it wasn't 50 overdubs and all you know all yeah so that happens in in all styles of music i I think but got off the uh path of butthole surfers here a little bit but it it makes you know they they went kind of went from zero to 60 from a avant-garde noise artsy uh whatever punk kind of punk band yeah, i would i guess to, yeah to 
what Matt and I thought sounded like fucking Smash Mouth, like <laughs> uh, by that last album or whatever. And and I, if this song was the in between, I still think this song's interesting enough. It sticks out. Not like a huge fan of this song or something, but I don't hate it either. But to close this out, we need to decide. Butthole Surfers, Pepper. One hit, th- did it bring the one hit thunder or was this a one hit blunder? I, I say blunder, but yeah. yeah, I'm so stuck in the middle because like, I like everything about them in theory and I do like this song, but I'd be hard pressed to ever put on a butthole surfers album and just casually listen to it. So I guess I'm going to have to lean into, into blunder, but there are some songs that will be on the one hit thunder deep cuts playlist on Spotify that are worth checking out. Yes. Okay, well, I I think that Gibby himself would say this was a blunder. I think yeah. he literally said something to that because it seems to have ended the band for the most part is they had this hit. And like you said, Matt, always a million copies of this at the used, like everybody probably bought it, was like, oh, I like that song. Can't wait to hear it. Listen to the rest of it. And we're like, nope. <laughs> it was it was this one. You mentioned Dead Eye Dick. And yeah. the only other one that I remember dominating that UCD section was the band The Flies uh-huh. that did that Got You Where I Want You. Oh, album. oh God, I right. remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but uh, yeah, I guess, man, we're going we're going to three-way blunder. It's on, been a long time since we've had a three-way blunder yeah, on the show. Yeah, wow. that's, that's... And I feel like we've given worse songs a thunder pass. You gave a pass to crazy town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I gave a pass to rude by magic. I get, wow. I mean, I, in this time it's more or less that this song killed the band. Well, that, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Cause to me, the blunder really lies in that. They, they put this song out, probably didn't care about it. It turned them into something that then wasn't butthole surfers. Mm-hmm. So the blunder there is that for some reason they needed to keep up that charade of what this song represented. But if you go back, like I said, independent warm saloon, I still listen to that record. I really love that record. There's some really kick-ass good, heavy songs, whatever, like, but you get past that, you get to this record and it just, it, it completely changes what butthole surfers was intended to be. And I I mean, to me, that's the biggest blunder of the band, but I do have to give them credit in, in one respect and bring the thunder because they got the word butthole. Yes. <laughs> just on the radio and in everybody's mouths in the mid nineties. And it really, really released the stigma behind the word butthole. So we'll give them credit for that. I like it. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Zayo's new song, Croatoan, off their album, Crimson Corridor. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit WeKnowPodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can help make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at OneHitThunderPodcast at gmail.com Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
the Geekscape Network. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. What's up, everyone? It's Joe, and I'm the host of That's Awesome with Joe, a podcast on the newly formed Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. I talk with tons of your favorite artists, managers, touring personnel, and more. Most of the time we talk about music, but lots of the time we end up talking about something completely unrelated. We laugh a lot. We do a lot of really stupid things, but also some things that are really informative and interesting. Basically, it's a podcast that I think you should listen to. Obviously, I'm biased because it's my podcast, but I think I might be into it if I wasn't the host. Check it out at SoundTalentMedia.com.